from Smashing the Plateau, I'm David Schreiner-Khan with Going Solo. In this show, we discuss building your own successful business after a late career job loss. I just stared at my computer for a half an hour and I had a whole bunch of self-talk. Who are you to charge that? They're going to react to that price. They're going to say you're not worth it. And like I had back sweat moments, David. Today on episode 27 of Going Solo, I'm speaking with Michael O'Brien. Michael needed to leave his position as a corporate executive. He wanted to start an executive coaching business, and he had many of the same fears about self-worth that are common for high achievers leaving the corporate cocoon and venturing forth on their own. Listen as we discuss the techniques Michael used that turned his entrepreneurial dreams into reality. If you're trying to build your own business after a late career job loss, and want to make more money faster with fewer mistakes along the way, sign up for a complimentary Going Solo action planning session now. Go to goingsoloplan.com. That's goingsoloplan.com. Now let's welcome Michael O'Brien. Michael is the Chief Shift Officer at Peloton Coaching and Consulting. He elevates successful corporate leaders by preventing bad moments from turning into bad days. Michael started going solo in 2014 at the age of 47 after a successful corporate career. Michael, welcome to the show. David, thanks for having me. I'm totally excited to talk to you today and share a little wisdom with your listeners. Absolutely. I'm really glad you're here. So uh, let's cut to the chase. What caused you to go solo? A corporate shakeup and a last bad day. So I'll give you a little bit of both. So I had my last bad day on July 11, 2001. And as you referenced in the intro, I try to help folks now prevent bad moments from turning into bad days. My last bad day was when I was hit head on by a Ford Explorer who crossed the center line of the road and hit me head on going about 40 miles an hour as I was on a bike training ride. So I'm lucky to be alive. And to make a nice, beautiful, long story with a very happy ending, but a little bit of a rough beginning, uh, short, I knew I would get into this line of work, helping leaders perform better, uh, sharing, sharing my story when I was recovering in the hospital. And as I got out of the hospital, I got through my initial surgeries and I went back to my corporate life, but on my own terms, I also knew that I had to set up the parameters, the boundaries, if you will that would basically spark my next move. I I told my wife, listen, I'm going to go back to my corporate job. I'm going to go back to my corporate job, though, on my own terms. I'm not going to go back just spinning on my hamster wheel. That's what I was doing prior to my accident. And I do credit my accident and the recovery helping me get to the executive suite. But when I went back, I said, okay, here are the values I truly want to honor. And once I can't honor those at this place, then I'm going to start my entrepreneurial journey. And one one week, one weekend, the company, my boss, who I'd known for 18 years, uh, he reported into the chairman, the global chairman who was based in Tokyo. I reported into this gentleman. He was moved out. It was one of those political muscle things. They had a difference of opinion as far as the strategic direction of the company. So out he went, in came a new boss. And I knew right away, David, that I was not his cup of tea, nor was he my cup of tea. And I also knew in that moment that I could no longer honor the values that I 
cherished back then. And it was time for me to go and start my entrepreneurial journey. Now, that that kind of scenario happens so often. I think it happens way more often than most people either realize or are willing to admit to themselves. Oh, absolutely. It happens all the time. Like If you get to a, a high enough level, a company, change just happens. Like there's no, there's no coaching. There's no performance improvement programs. It's the chairs get moved around in the executive suite and one minute you're in and the next day you can be out. Now, to be fair, this new boss gave me another executive level job somewhere else in the company, but I knew what was happening to the company just didn't fit who I wanted to be going forward. It, It didn't fit my values today. And I think that's so important for folks is understanding who you want to be, your purpose, but also understanding your values because your values help you make decisions, especially when it's stressful. And that moment under like any circumstances was stressful, but my values really helped guide what was a family decision to leave, to leave the, the certainty, the twice a week, you know, every month paychecks, the the bonuses, the perks, the company car, the, you know, the champagne Cadillac healthcare plan, all that stuff. In 36 hours after that move, I was like, I don't want any of that anymore. I'm moving on to my entrepreneurial journey. I'm going solo and there's no certainty. There's no healthcare. I have to buy a car. There are no perks, except I had my freedom and the ability to honor the values I really wanted to honor. Yeah. And I can't tell you how many times I've had conversations with high achieving professionals like yourself who were in the same position, who hadn't had that self-awareness that maybe was a result of your accident and your recovery that you had to realize that there was going to come a point where you needed to do your own thing. Yeah. I think a lot of folks dream about it, but many folks don't act on it. And it's scary though. It's when you get to, as I mentioned in the intro, I was 47. You know, it's, you know, you have two kids, I have two daughters. They were about to get into that college period of their lives. And hey, college ain't cheap. And college is not going to be cheap going forward either. So you have, you have bills to pay. You have a lifestyle, you have status. That's one of the things like when I was the head of sales and marketing for North America, I had status. I walked into the room and people noticed. Then all of a sudden I leave that all behind and I start my own firm and I have no status whatsoever. I went back to Mediterranean Avenue or Baltic Avenue on the Monopoly board. I didn't even pass go. I was starting fresh and that was really exhilarating and so much fun, but it can also be scary. And I think that fear holds a lot of people back from pursuing something that could be really invigorating and exciting and fulfilling. Yeah, we let fear sometimes gets the, it gets the best of us. For sure. Listen, status, paycheck, benefits, all the things that you think that you need to support the life that you are accustomed to and believe that you need, um, those things really can hold you hostage. Absolutely. And Although I knew I would eventually become an entrepreneur and get into executive coaching and speaking, you know, the authorship, the two books came later, I didn't really have a clear vision as to what my business was going to be about. I knew the type of person I wanted to help. That was clear in my head. 
But I remember that summer, because I made the announcement to leave right around Memorial Day of 2014. And my final day in corporate was the, the weekend of Labor Day. So I gave my old company three months that summer, those three months, time to transition because I had a big role in the company. And you just you weren't going to put a job out there on Indeed and backfill it right away. So I wanted to help them transition. And we had some people over for a dinner party, you know, one of those typical dinner parties, you know, few couples. And someone asked me, hey, what are your plans? And I shared with them, well, I have a 50% plan. And he's like, well, what's that? I go, well, I want to work 50% fewer hours than I worked before, and I'm comfortable making 50% less. And this was after maybe a glass or two of wine. I was just making it up, David, as I went along. My wife heard that the next morning at breakfast. She was like, can you tell me about your 50% plan? And I was like, <laughs> I was like, I was like, oh, you heard that? And she was like, yeah. She goes, what's that about? I go, I don't know. It sounds good. So I didn't necessarily have that. Now, I will say this. I don't work 50% fewer hours because I love my work and I don't even consider it work. And the really cool thing is that I make more now than I did back as a corporate executive. So I feel like over the last five years, you know, I, I don't regret it. I'm not the type of person to say, oh, I should have done this years ago. I did it when I was supposed to do it. And I'm so glad I took that leap. So, okay. So how did you do it? Because I'm sure lots of people want to know this. So <laughs> I, um, I, I wish I had this great hack. So I, I started off working my network. So my business is really word of mouth. There's, there's so much out there. And I think for any entrepreneur, especially for those listening that might be in the coaching realm of entrepreneurship, there are so many people peddling, like, take this course, it's 997. Take that course, it's 1997. Do this, get that certification. You should be blogging. You should be doing video. You should be doing all that. And I will say, all that really hasn't turned into any clients. What I went back to, as retro as this sound, sounds, I started with a list of about 15 to 30 people that were solid relationships in my network, which I, my word for it is who's in my Peloton. And I made calls to them and I talked to them about what problems they were facing personally, professionally, but also more from an ecosystem, what they were dealing with at their company. And we had a conversation. I just sat there, gathered information, call it market research, and we had a back and forth. And that led to the first few clients. And what I did is I focused on being the best dang coach I could be for them. And then they told a few people, and then they told a few people, and then they told a few people. And that's how my business has grown. And each time I gained a little bit more confidence in myself, I went forward to raise my prices because there's only so many hours in each week. I also tried to have maybe more of a higher profile client from a corporate pay perspective versus a self-pay. But I, I just focused in on building my craft as opposed to chasing every shiny object out there that promises you, well, you can, you can get all these clients right away. You just got to have this group or that group. And I think there's, unfortunately, there's a big part of the industry that feeds off of people who are really eager. But I would say work on your craft. All the other marketing is really great landscaping. It helps make your house 
it, it makes it more attractive from a curb appeal perspective, but people are going to buy your house, your foundation, what you're all about. Then the blogging, the videos, all that other stuff, the credentials, I see that as landscaping that makes for a very, um, yeah, curb appeal friendly type of place to visit. Right. And Michael, I, I couldn't agree more. One of the things that I'm wondering, though, is when you're working on building your craft, what did you find were the differences between your craft, meaning working in your business, and even if it's calling people that you knew that were part of your network, but that essentially is marketing and sales. So what do you see as the difference between working on your craft and how you coach your ideal client versus what you needed to do to bring in business and manage the business? Sure. So there are definitely like part of my time was dedicated to like, we'll call it biz development or networking and connecting and all that good stuff like that. And I know I said a whole bunch about like chasing credentials and stuff like that. I did work on my craft through some training and I will say this from experience. Sometimes I did chase like, oh, wow, like what I need is a Facebook group. And and not not really thinking through like my audience hardly is on Facebook. They're too busy to be on Facebook. But I thought, oh, I'll just take this Facebook group and that's how I'm going to grow my business. That will be like the easy pass towards more success. So I share my feelings about, you know, training and developing and learning your craft and building your craft. I think courses can be wonderful. But what I would encourage any entrepreneur or any coach out there to do is really have awareness not to cross that line where you're just chasing it over and over again. So I did spend some of my time working on my craft as a coach because what I was doing in corporate America as a leader wasn't necessarily considered, say, pure coaching. So I worked on that and I continue to work on that. I've just gotten smarter along the way in choosing what I want to invest in. Then I still spend, I'd say, 15% of my time networking during the course of the week, just checking in with people, see how people are doing, sort of pressure testing what's happening out there, how people are dealing with the start of a new decade, a new year, and the, and the pace of life that seems to be quickening day by day. And then I work on some of the other stuff that I'd call sort of traditional marketing. I put out a blog each week, and I try to do other things just to sort of keep my presence up there on social media. I consider social media sort of like today's yellow pages. It's good to be there, but rarely does anyone see one post and hire me from one post. I would be a little concerned if someone did that anyway, (laughs) to be honest. Yep, yep. I couldn't agree more. Michael, how long did it take from the time you decided, I'm opening my own business now, until you felt like you had reached some stability in the way the business was running? Two years. So my wife and I, when we made this call, I said, let's give it 18 months. And after 18 months, we'll know if we're going to make it or not. If it wasn't going to be able to make it after 18 months, I was going to go back into my corporate life. But I would say at 18 months, I felt, okay, we've turned the corner. We're heading towards something. After two years, I felt, okay, I'm confident there is something even more here. And then each year since, I've been trying to build upon that. And that's when I started coming out with my, after two years, my first book. And then I came out with a, a leadership academy. And then I came out with my second book in 2019. So each year, what I try to do is I try to do something incremental. I don't necessarily go for like lightning bolt moments. I believe 
change for me happens pedal stroke by pedal stroke. So I try to do things a little bit better tomorrow than I did today, and then try to have maybe a signature project each year. But I would say right around that two-year mark, I felt like, okay, this is going to be a thing. We're going to be able to make it. And I can't believe five years has, has gone by as quickly as it has. Well, congratulations on what you've built so far. Thank you. And I want to go back to something else that I see people struggle with a lot, particularly at the beginning. Like you talked about going from the steady paycheck at a high level of compensation to no status, which in many people's minds also equals no security. And also for many people does a real job on their confidence. How did you decide what your first price point was going to be in what you were trying to sell initially? And how did you have the confidence without the track record of running this business to be able to sell it? Well, I didn't necessarily have the had the confidence in the beginning. I had a whole bunch of courage. So I was lucky enough to know what some coaches were charging because in my past life, we had hired some coaches for some people on my team. So I had a smattering of different proposals that I remembered from my corporate life. And I sort of got a ballpark. And to be quite honest, David, all, each proposal was all, you know, it was all over the place. It never really like solidified around one price point. So I remember my first corporate proposal and I knew the company. They were part of my network. And here I was, it was a Thursday night, it was 10 o'clock at night. I had finished the proposal. I had my price down in the proposal and I just stared at my computer for a half an hour. And I had a whole bunch of self-talk, like, who are you to charge that? Like, they're going to react to that price. They're going to say, you're not worth it. And like, I had like back sweat moments, David. I was like, you can't send this. What are they going to say? They're going to say no. They say no. And I can't sell this client. Then what client will I ever be able to sell any business to? And then eventually after a half an hour, because I'm more of an early to bed, early to rise guy. So at 10, 10 30 at night, it's past my bedtime. I was like, you know what? Screw it. I'm just going to hit send. And I hit send. I woke up the next day at about 5.30, usual time, 5.30, 6 o'clock. I checked my email right away. They hadn't responded, which sounds crazy, right? I send it at 10.30 and I checked my email at 5.30. I'm like, oh my God, they haven't responded yet. They hate my proposal. Well, as ridiculous as that sound, I let that narrative play out for a few hours. And about 9.30 that morning, they responded and said, yep, sounds good. Let's do it. And then in that moment, I kicked myself because I believed I should have charged more. So, um, so I, in that moment, it was, I had a whole bunch of fear. I had a whole bunch of self-talk, but I had more courage than fear. And I hit the button, I hit send, and that became my first corporate client. And then along the way, as I got more training and more confidence, you know, after I did my TED talk, like different external markers that people tend to look at. Although like I'm proud of my TEDx talk, but I don't necessarily like see that I'm a different person because of it, but I know a lot of people do. So I use those, those milestones as a way to say, okay, well, you know, maybe there's an opportunity here to raise my prices slightly. And that's, I use those milestones as a way to like lift my prices up over time. And so I could maximize the hours I was spending working and making sure that I had a stable uh, stable business going forward. Michael, that, that's a great, great story. Thank you for sharing it. 
in such vivid detail because it's it's an experience that so many people go through. And I have talked to so many people that agonize over pricing, over when to send something, over how to craft it, over whether to have a conversation about the price first and then send the email or, or send the email and follow up with a conversation. And, and so many people yeah. beat themselves <laughs> up unnecessarily just the way you described. It was painful. It, what I thought was really surprising, though, and this is a little bit, you know, I'm going to sound a little judgy towards the coaching community. So I went into this coaching community. Everyone's like, it's all abundant. We like, we have an abundant mindset and yada, 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 and all this, you know, we're building and creating. And I'm like, awesome. I love that. Give me more. I'm gobbling it up. And then here I am, a newbie. I'm like, well, can you tell me a little bit about how you structure your packages and what you charge? And then everyone shut down. Well, we're not that abundant. We're not going to share that. And I'm like, well, if we're all abundant, abundant, and we're not in competition because a whole bunch of people need coaches, why don't we become more transparent with each other? And I was really blown away by the lack of transparency with each other, especially as we talked out of one side of, the, of our mouth that, hey, we don't view each other as competition. This is an abundant world. But their behavior, their practice was one of scarcity, but there's only so much business to go around. That's why like when other people call me, new coaches, and they're like, how much do you charge? I'm like, here's what I charge. Here's my structure. This is what I do. And they're like, why are you telling me all this? And I was like, well, because I looked for this very same bit of information five years ago, and no one wanted to share. And I totally believe that, hey, in, in business, we need more leaders. We need better leaders. So we need more coaches that can help these leaders. I do view this as abundant, that we we should be able, able to help each other out as entrepreneurs and as coaches. Because I think when we have better coaches out there, better entrepreneurs, we make the world better. And right now, where we sit, I think the world needs to be better. And so that's why I do what I do now. Well said. Michael, if someone wants to go deeper with anything you've discussed today, they want to get in touch with you, what's the best way to do it? Best way, go to my website, which is michaelobrienshift.com. From there, they can connect on social, and they can also just pop me an email. I think my phone number is on my website, too. They can just give me a buzz, and we can have a chat. Sounds great. Well, Michael, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to join us on Going Solo. Share your experiences. Give some great tips for anybody who is in the process of going solo. My guest today has been the Chief Shift Officer of Peloton Executive Coaching, Michael O'Brien. Thank you again, Michael, for joining us. Thanks, David. I hope all the wisdom I shared is beneficial to your leaders and your listeners. Thanks again. When you visit the Going Solo website at smashingtheplateau.com slash going solo, you'll find a summary of each episode along with the links we mention on the show. Today, we learned how to use courage to turn entrepreneurial dreams into reality and much more. If you're trying to build your own business after a late career job loss and want to make more money faster with fewer mistakes along the way, Sign up for a complimentary Going Solo action planning session now. Go to goingsoloplan.com. That's goingsoloplan.com. Remember to subscribe on whatever platform you listen on and leave a review if you can. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our show. I'll see you on our next episode.